All right. Well, listen, we're in a series here called on Sundays called I Said So. We're in a series on Sunday called uh, I Said So. And uh, I want to go on into lesson two today, the gospel of John chapter 15. Remember, every Sunday this year when I teach, I'm only teaching from the gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that's my assignment this year. And so um, I want to stay there. John 15, verse 11. Listen to this. Are y'all ready? Y'all got big energy? Huh? Okay. All right. Here it is. Jesus said, I have told you this, that my joy may be in you and that your joy might be complete. Listen to me. My joy might be in you and your joy might be complete. That as long as you only have your joy, you don't have enough joy. Your joy will never be enough. So I need to give you my joy, which comes to you from a different source. Now, I just said it that way. Let me tell you the way they said it in the Mount Olive Missionary Baptist Church in Kilmichael, Mississippi. This joy that I have, the world didn't give it to me. And the world can't take it away. (laughs) So I I want to talk from this subject. Last week was talk that talk. This week is simply this, talk yourself into it. Sometimes you've got to talk yourself (laughs) into it. I was recently uh, sitting in a training session for a mastermind group that I'm a part of. Um, And we began this year releasing a word that we thought was an area of focus for us. And, you know, we've been talking about this, this word all, all year. It's reimagine. And I, I gave us the charge and the challenge to find a word that would be consistent with what you're reimagining. And for me, I wanted to reimagine leadership. I knew this new season required new levels of skill. So um, I started kind of making investments in that area. Look at me. The investment you... The one of the most important investments you can ever make is the investment you make in you and your willingness to invest in you in the present is an indication of what you really believe about your future. If you really believe it's going to rain, you build the ark. If you really believe God's getting ready to do exceedingly and abundantly above all you ask or think, you actually get ready for it. Come on, are you hearing what I'm saying? Business owners, if you really believe business is coming from the north, south, east, and west, that you're not going to have room enough to receive the clients and the contracts and the opportunities, then you get ready for it. Am I making sense? So so I'm in one of these mastermind groups that I'm a part of, and the trainer was facilitating a session, and he was doing some talking about basic human psychology, and he said something that was incredibly insightful, yet uniquely unsettling for me at the same time. I want you to catch this. It was unsettling for me, not because I believed what he said was wrong. It was unsettling for me because I thought what he said might be right. Y'all want to know what he said? If you want to know, put tell me in the chat. Say tell me in the room. This, this, is, this is what he said. He said, he said, guys, There's one reason and one reason alone people do something or don't do something. Now, when he said that, I said to myself, that ain't right. He said, no, no, there's I said that to myself, not to him. He said, there's one reason and one reason alone. People do something or don't do something. I submitted. He is my senior. He was. He is a genius. He's 60 years old. He's got decades on me. And, I, and he said this. It was so powerful. More experience with people than me. It was so powerful. He said there's one reason and one reason alone people do or don't do something. He said, because they feel like it. <laughs> he said when they do it, it's because they feel like it. If they don't do it, it's because they feel like it. And as I begin to explore this concept, I'm like, man, I think this has some consistency with my convictions that come from Scripture. 
when I look at the activity of individuals that are examples for us that we are to emulate in some ways, learning what to do and in other ways learning what not to do, I see that there are a lot of, there's a lot of activity those individuals engaged in because they felt like it. Moses hit the rock instead of speaking to the rock because he felt like it. Peter denied Jesus three times because he didn't feel like dealing with the persecution that would come with being associated with Jesus. Judas betrayed Jesus because he felt, are y'all following me so far? <laughs> he felt like it. Listen, this trainer was not suggesting that we can't have dominion over our feelings or that we don't do things that we uh, feel like or don't feel like doing. Watch this. He's simply suggesting or articulating, inferring that although it is God's intention that feelings be indicators, they are often dictators that are driving people's decisions. What he's saying is this. Feelings aren't always the only factor, but more often than not, they're the dominant factor. That's contributing to the decisions that people make, the words that people speak. Am I making sense to you so far? And so I believe this is one of the reasons the enemy is obsessed with the emotional realm. Because he understands the impact that the emotional realm has on our evolution, that's who we become, and our advancement, that's how far I go. Am I making sense? He understands this. And what most people miss about the activity of the enemy is that the enemy operates in the dark, which means he likes to destroy you in ways that don't feel destructive. Are you hearing what I'm saying? He, he's called the prince of darkness because his names reveal his nature. The adjectives that the Bible uses to describe him reveal his activity, okay? And so he's called the prince of darkness because he loves the dark. Dark is not just a metaphor for ignorant evil. It's a metaphor for ignorance. If I say you in the dark, I'm saying you don't know something. And so the devil likes to work in the dark. He said, I like to work in areas you don't even see me working. <laughs> I, I want to destroy you in ways and you don't even know this is destroying you. So he wants us to major in the minor while he's majoring in the major. And he says, you have no idea that this thing over here is actually something that I'm using to disrupt, detour, and destroy your life. This is why he don't mind you having church, but he hates you getting the word. Because the Bible says that the word is a light <laughs> and darkness and light can't exist at the same time. David put it this way. He said, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. When that word comes, it shows me stuff I ain't seen before. It sheds light on things that I didn't pay attention to before. It gives me epiphanies and insight that I ain't have before. Is there anybody that's honest enough to, 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 to acknowledge that God knows how to turn the light on in some dark places in my mind? This is why some people can't handle you in this season because they used to you when you walking around in the dark and they can't handle you now that the lights have come on and you see things in ways you could not see them before he, he likes to work in the dark and I believe he does a lot of dark work in the emotional realm <laughs> He says, I want to I get in these emotions because if I get in these emotions, I'm going to impact that advancement. He knows if I get your feelings, I got your future. But I believe I'm preaching to some people today that are watching me online. I believe it's some people. Don't throw your phone because you're going to get ready to right now. Don't throw that phone that are watching online that are willing to declare that he can't have it. <laughs> he want my future, but he can't have it. Watch this. If you let him have your future, you make the pain in your past pointless. 
Did you hear what I just said? It means that all that pain you went through is for nothing if you stop here. It means you cried for nothing. It means you got betrayed for nothing. It means you suffered loss for nothing. It means you went through heartache for nothing. No, 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 no. My agitation has to turn into compensation. Let me go to this side. I said my agitation needs to turn into compensation. All this pain got to pay me. It's got to pay me in wisdom. It's got to pay me in strength. It's got to pay me in skill. It's got to pay me in opportunity. This agitation has to turn into compensation. The book says those who sow in tears shall reap in joy but he likes to work in the dark. Work in areas that seem minute, minor, and minuscule, but they have a major impact. Are y'all ready for this? And one of the ways (laughs) he does this is by engaging with, becoming obsessed with an area we often overlook. See, last week we talked about our mountains. But today I want to talk to you about your mood. (laughs) Did you hear what I just said? Change global. I said last week we talked about the mountain. But today let's talk about the mood. Because the enemy majors in our moods. He said, I'm working in the dark over there and you don't even know I'm working. I'm all up in this and you don't even know I'm all in this. Am I making sense so far? Here it is. The the foundational text that we just read in John 15 offers some insight to what I'm trying to articulate. In John 15 here, Jesus is having a conversation with his mentees, his disciples, his apprentices about a conversation about fruitfulness. This is a completely different, ooh, there's a whole different conversation there. He's talking to them about fruitfulness, and he's using this agrarian analogy, saying, I'm the vine, you are the branches, my father's the husbandman, except you abide in me, you cannot bear fruit for without me, you can do nothing. He's using these metaphors to try to get across to his disciples. Are y'all ready for this? The imperative nature of intimacy and not just activity. Are you following me? He's saying, I know you're used to doing stuff and you're ready to perform exorcisms and you're ready to to teach the things that I've taught you. But I want you to know that your effectiveness in your activity, the qualitative difference you're going to make in people's lives is going to be tied to your intimacy. Am I making sense? He's saying your relationship with me is going to determine how useful you are for me. Now watch this. Last week, we talked about a tree analogy, right? And we said just because the tree is big doesn't mean it's not barren. So when I talk about effectiveness, I'm not talking about how many people we reach. Because we can be wide in our reach and shallow in our impact. But when I'm talking about fruitfulness, I'm talking about the qualitative difference that is made in somebody's life as a result of our activity. And so Jesus says to them, this is so, so powerful and profound to me. Jesus says to them, he says, now, listen now. He says, now, except, he said, he said, now, except you do this. He said, now, except you abide in me. He didn't just say attach. He said abide. When the enemy can't stop attachment, he comes after the abiding. Are you hearing what I'm saying? When he can't stop us from starting, he tries to stop us from continuing. And where would we be in some areas if we just hadn't stopped? Where am I making sense? Here it is. Here it is. This is interesting now. He says, he says, I want you to be in, uh, understand this intimacy. And he says, this intimacy is going to be important. I want you to see the flow of the conversation. Because he moves from talking to them about intimacy with 
him and intimacy with the father, he moves from that to talking about his absence, saying, now I'm getting ready to leave. And you're not going to be able to handle my absence without intimacy. Did you hear what I said? He said, because you've been dependent on me being here in bodily form for three years. Now I'm about to have a presence in your life that is different from what you're accustomed to. I'm still going to be here, but my presence is not going to be present the way you used to. Did you hear what I just, I just said something. Did you hear what I just said? And there are times where we experience that shift and we feel like we've lost the presence when he's just not present the way he was. I've gone from the sun, but I'm sending the spirit. (laughs) He says, I'm still here. I'm just not here in the form that you used to. So don't confuse my presence with the way I'm present. I'm still present even if my presence isn't what you're accustomed to. I'm present. He said, I'm present when you, I'm present when you have uh, tears of joy. But I'm also present when you have tears of sorrow. And because I'm not present the way, uh, you, the way I am when you have tears of joy, as I am when you have tears of sorrow, you can incorrectly assume I'm not present. I'm still here. I'm just present in a different kind of way. Listen, <laughs> y'all follow me? Yeah, in all, in, in all, John 14, excuse me, I got the order. In John 14, he's telling them, don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house, there are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place to you. That where I am, you may be also, that I may receive you unto myself. He, he's, he's having this conversation with them. And then he gets to verse 15. It's like, okay, the only way you're going to be able to handle verse 15, 14, chapter 14, if, what you, if you do what I told you, in chapter 15. What you do when God show up not looking like the God you're accustomed to seeing? What what do you do (laughs) when you're accustomed to the son being there in bodily form and he leaves and now you got to deal with the spirit of the son in spirit form? (laughs) Ah, Am I making sense? So they all disturbed. And Jesus goes through this talk about the vine and the branches, and then he gets down to chapter 15, and he says, now all this stuff I just said in chapter 14 and in chapter 15, he said, I spoke these words that my joy might be in you. He says, because I know what I just told you about my absence changed your mood. That affected you emotionally. Am I making sense? <laughs> he said, that, that affected you. That, that made you a little nervous. It, it made you a little cautious. It, it gave you some apprehension. It, it caused you wonder what a thing's going to be like now that Jesus is not here in bodily form. He says, so the way, watch this. Are y'all here? He says, he says the way I'm going to serve you now is I need to give you some words that will give you some perspective so that you can process what you heard with truth and not just your feelings. Did you hear what I said? See, sometimes the problem isn't the phrase. Sometimes the problem is their processing. See, I'm saying I'm I'm leaving to go and prepare a place for you. Now, how that affects you isn't just determined by what I said. How that affects you is determined by how you process it. And if you're, if you're processing it in a way that says, Jesus is gone, I'm by myself, I gotta figure this out, we're gonna be abandoned, then that's gonna produce one kind of mood. But if you process it in a way where you actually hear all that he's got to say, well, he said, I'm leaving, but I'm not leaving you orphanless. I'm sending you another helper. 
I'm sending you a comforter. I'm sending you someone that empowered me to do what I'm doing. And when you use him right, you're going to do greater. Greater works will you do. But how it affects my mood is based on how I process it. So them leaving it in the pain is your processing. <laughs> Somebody come get me. Somebody in the chat help me preach because they tired in the studio. I, I said it is not them leaving that's causing the pain. It is the way I'm processing. An event happens. I tell myself a story. And the story I tell myself, which is based on my interpretation of the event, is what actually affects my mood. This is why Paul says to believers in Corinth, when the devil starts interpreting the fact for you, that's called vain imagination. You are imagining something that is not based in truth. And it's provoking emotions in you that are unhealthy and unhelpful. <laughs> he says, so let me, let me tell y'all. He says, I'm telling you this so that you can have joy. And if I don't tell you this, you're going to process these phrases in a way that send you emotionally in the wrong direction. It's going to make your emotions non-compliant with my instruction. He says, so I've spoken these things to you. Are y'all ready here? That my joy, my joy, y'all know why I get excited about the Bible? Because it's the most reliable source of information that exists for human optimization. It is the most reliable book that exists for human optimization. If you want to be your best self, the only one that can tell you, tell you how to do it is the one that made you. Apple tells you how to get the best out of the iPhone because they made it. Samsung tells you how to get the best out of the Android because they made it. The manufacturer of these clothes say, don't put it in the oven because they made it. And God says, I made you. And why are you listening to people that ain't make you? Why are you letting people that didn't make you, make you? <laughs> so this is what Jesus said. He said, I spoke these words that my joy, is that the book, might be in you and your joy might be complete. So Jesus makes a distinction between his joy and mine. <laughs> he says it is possible for humans to have joy that is different than the joy I have to offer. Are y'all here? He's trying to help them see, even with the, the analogy between the vine and the branches, that, hey, I want you to understand the difference between my acceptance of you and your experience with me. You don't have to pray for me to accept you. You don't have to serve for me to accept you because my love for you doesn't come with conditions. But please don't confuse my acceptance of you with your experience with me. If you don't follow the instruction I give you, you will have a spiritual experience. It'll just be an inferior one. It, it'll just be stuff that you see me talk about that you never get to walk into. Yeah. I still love you, but you're living less than your best and you're living underneath your potential. He says, no. He said, you got joy, but I want to give you mine. And I see a consistency here because I could take you somewhere else where Jesus told the disciples, he said, my peace I leave with you. Is that the book? 
not peace like the world gives. Is that what he says? He says, in other words, he says, there's something I want to give you that's different than what y'all call peace down there. <laughs> Woo! He said, what y'all call peace only exists as long as things are cool, calm, and copacetic. He said, that's what y'all call peace. He says, but I'm going to give you a peace that passes your understanding. No, 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 no. He didn't say it passes their understanding. He didn't say they would be confused about why you got peace. He said it passes your understanding that you'll be confused about how you got peace. People be like, how are you so calm? You're like, I don't even know. That's because he gave you something that is qualitatively different than what people are settling for. And so when he says, my joy I give to you, he says, I want to give you an internal state of jubilation that's based on the revelation that your welfare and well-being rest securely in my hands. So the only way you lose that jubilation is if you lose the revelation that your welfare and well-being rest securely in my hands. So as long as you in my hands, you can have a sense of jubilation because you got a revelation. Watch this. Your, your jubilation is not based on you being in my hands. It's based on your revelation of it. Did you hear what I said? Yeah, it's based on you getting a revelation. God's got this. So they can take that, but as long as you got this, you can still have joy. They can take them, but as long as you've got him, you can still have joy. He said, I, I want to I give you something. I want to give you a dominant attitudinal disposition that's joyous. Not that you're perfect. And that every day feels like your best day. But he says, generally speaking, the mental space I want you to be in is one of joy. Now watch this. The Bible says he gives me joy unspeakable, full of glory. So God is glorified by my joy. See, we just think God's glorified, or many people think God's just glorified by our acquisitions. I'm telling you, God's glorified by my emotions. Hey! When you say, look at there, you see that smile on their face? That's me. Woo! You see them dancing in the rain? That's because of me. You see everything falling apart, but they aren't. That's me. A car, a car can't do that. A crib can't do that. Possessions and positions can't do that. You see that right there? That's me. So God is glorified through your holiness, but he's also glorified through your happiness. Did you hear what I just said? Jesus said, I want to give you this internal sense of jubilation that based on the revelation that your welfare and well-being rests rest securely in my hands. And the way I'm going to do that, the way I'm going to help your mood is by what I do with my mouth. He didn't breathe on them. Come on. In John 20, 21, he breathed on them to empower them with the Holy Spirit, didn't he? He ain't breathe on them for joy. He said, this is not going to be an impartation. He said, this is going to come through the words. He said, I'm going to fix your mood with my mouth. Because my word will move your mood. Mm. Did you hear what I said? I said, my, he said, my word will move your mood. Yeah. 
Have you ever came into the house of God or turned on a worship service and you were down and damper and downcast? But there's something about when the word of God, <laughs> watch this, I, I ain't got time. When the presence of God, first of all, because in his presence is fullness of joy. See, that's why people who miss the worship are probably missing joy. Uh, so that's another, that's, uh, we'll deal with that later. Yeah, the devil wants you to miss worship because you miss, <laughs> in his presence, it's fullness of joy. But, uh, so, so the presence, but then also the principles. And all of a sudden that word come and you walked in one way and you walking out another. Because God said, I'm going to send this word to move your mood. Hallelujah. He said, because I see, I see what you don't see. You see you, you see you having a bad day. God's like, I see the devil having his way. I'm getting ready to move him. I'm preaching to somebody that's watching this today. And I'm telling you, God's getting ready to move your mood. Because you, you see in the text the connection between the mouth and the mood. God, I'm at it. So it means like part of what's contributing to my moods is my mouth. My mouth not only impacts my mountains, my mouth impacts my moods. Pastor, what you mean? So you mean to tell me you just spent all this time talking to me about my feelings? Feelings? No, 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 no. The devil's actions are never an end unto themselves. They're always a means to an end. He ain't cut Samson's hair because he was bald-headed and needed a hair transplant. He cut Samson's hair because he wanted his strength. And he didn't just want his strength because he wanted his strength. He wanted his strength because he wanted the Philistines to defeat him. He playing chess. And we're playing checkers. Oh, that's the book. See, Lord, I'm going to have to do a series on spiritual warfare. And see, spiritual warfare, part of, part of a weapon you use. Are y'all all right? Are y'all bored? Right? So, like, when you go to any kind of warfare, you need, you need, you need uh, artillery, right? And you got to know how to use all of the weaponry properly. So, one of the weapons you have to use in spiritual warfare is wisdom. So, somebody always reaching for, I'm reaching for the sword of the spirit. I'm reaching for the breastplate. Right? You need wisdom. Because the wisdom, wisdom closes some doors. See, this is what Paul, Paul says, stand. Paul says, you need to be able to stand against the wiles. Is that what he says? Of the devil. That word wiles means method, strategies, his moves. There are three things that affect your mood that I want to expose to you. Then I'm going to sit down. See, your mood, he wants to affect your mood because your mood affects some things that matter way more than your mood. It's not the mood. The mood matters because, because what the mood affects matters. You having a bad day doesn't really mean you have a bad day. But when you have a bad day with your mood, it can cause a bad day for some other reasons. Because your mood's affecting something else. Am I, am, am, am I all right? So, okay. So here it, is. here it is. Here's the first thing I see the Bible shows us that our mood affects. Our mood affects our movement. Like I heard a professor say one time, the gospel inherent in the gospel, inherent in the gospel is urgency. There's an urgency in the gospel. Because when I'm proclaiming it to a person, I don't know if this is the last time they'll be able to hear it. So it's like, yes, I want you to take your time. I want you to take as long as necessary, but you need to make a decision as soon as possible because we don't know how much time you got. So procrastination is based on the assumption that you have another opportunity. And the assumption that I'm going to have another opportunity is based on erroneous exegesis of scripture. Because you think you're obligated to another chance when you don't deserve the first one. You're not entitled to a second. Did you understand what I'm saying? Here it is. He says your mood affects your movement. So there are situations where we're experiencing stagnation because of our mood. Somebody write this down. Put it in the chat. 
your mood can become mud. <laughs> your mood's mud. And people are trying to move. And they're moving slow. And they're slothful. Because your mood is like mud. And God's like, get up and go. I'm trying to send you here because somebody's already there that's going to meet you. And you're going to have a conversation that's going to change your whole situation. The stuff you're trying to chase down, I'm getting ready to send it to you. But your mood's got you. I don't know if I'll see. You don't see the devil in that. Did you hear what I just said? That's the devil trying to get you to miss a divine appointment. But am I talking to anybody in here that say that word just turned the light on and I'm just letting the devil know I'm not missing another divine appointment. If you say go, I'm going. If you say sit in there, I'm sitting in there. Are y'all hearing me? Lord, my time's up. I'm trying to include more stories in my my, my, my teaching now. Uh, Earlier this summer, there was this business event that was taking place in Atlanta. And I said, something told me. Are y'all, y'all here? Something told me you need to go to that. Now, remember, this is the year I'm reimagining leadership, so I'm making obsessive and insane investments in myself. I call, I call it, this is what I told my Dansden group, it's a season of radical immersion. That's the way you have quantum leaps, radical immersion. I mean, it took me three years to get here. It means because that's because you took three years to learn it because you learning and then watching this and you learning and then playing that. Then you learning and then you stop learning. But if you lean into it, you could have got there in three months. (laughs) Yeah, it took that long, but it don't take that long. So I promise you, I'm getting like 10 years worth of learning in in one. It's been radical immersion this year. I'm going to sleep. This year, I've been going to sleep. I've been on my sabbatical. Sleep learning. Falling asleep on webinars. Anyway, so some tell me go to this conference. I'm like, all right. I'm in a season of my life, brother. Ain't got nothing to prove to nobody. So I say, all right, let me just, let me go. Holy Ghost, tell me, go. So me and Doug go. Doug, drop me off. I go. Now, I'm going to tell you, Lord, this, yeah, I'm just trying to paint a picture, okay? I don't want this to sound like a flex. It's not. Uh, so I'm standing there. So I paid, and I paid for, like, VIP, which means I want a good seat. I don't want no crazy lines. I walk there. I walk in that thing. This thing is disorganized. I'm talking about it's people everywhere. And in my, in my mind, I'm like, uh... Okay, praise God. I don't really have to be here. All right. I stood in line an hour and a half. I'm having to take pictures with people. You know what I'm saying? No, I'm serious. I'm, the, you, I'm trying to get in and out. I'm standing in line, and, and I'm not complaining about that. It's just like, you there's there. Uh, I'm so, like the whole time, an hour and a half, and, I'm, and there are people walking up to me saying, why are you standing in line? Right. Back in, back in. <laughs> are y'all following me? Yeah. They're like, why are you standing in line? Watch this. But when agitation wanted to make me leave, assignment said stay. I stood in that line over an hour and a half, sat at that conference, and there was one session with one person that opened a door, that opened another door, that opened another door, that's literally changing everything in my life because I didn't allow my mood to affect my movement. What line have you got out of?
Where did your pride make you get out of line? When I tell you so much came out of that one weekend, like I can't, it's, it's some of that stuff I can't even testify. Because your mood can become mud. It affects your movement. Did I feel agitated? Yes. But I didn't let the, the agitation become a dictator of my decision because I know some told me to go. Here's the second one, though. This is the most important one. Wake up. Don't miss this. The mood affects your magic. Woo! The mood affects your magic. When I say magic, I don't mean magic in some cultural or demonic sense. When I say magic, I'm using magic as a metaphor to describe your God-given ability to work your gift in a way that produces uncommon outcomes. I said uncommon outcome. Not not a regular outcome. Uncommon outcome. Yeah, when I come, I don't want common. Yeah, Zacchaeus didn't climb a tree for common. Peter didn't leave a fishing business for common. Matthew didn't leave an accounting business for common. You're not hearing what I'm saying. God says if you work your gift the way you can work your gift, you can have uncommon outcomes. That's when you work in your magic. It's when you in your bag. It's when you doing your thing. Y'all not hearing what I'm saying. I, I, I'm trying. I want you to get in a season where you can say I'm in, your, I'm in my bag. I remember a few years ago, I went to this event that my pastor was having and he looked at me. He said, son, I'm LeBron in right now. I say, you what? He said, I'm LeBron in right now. He says, I'm young enough to still have my legs, but I'm old enough to know how to play the game. Ha, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, he wasn't bragging on himself because humility isn't ignorance of what you have. Arrogance comes when you forget who gave it to you. He said, I'm LeBron in right now. It was his way of saying, I'm in my bag. And y'all, I just feel like I'm in one of those seasons too. I'm in my bag. Ha! I just, I feel it. I feel I'm working my magic. But your mood affects your magic. Because it affects the way you work your gift. Your mood can minimize the impact of your gift. David didn't just have a method with the slingshot. He had a mood. Y'all, are y'all all right? I said he didn't just... <laughs> He didn't just have a method. He had a mood. And I know he had a mood because I hear his words. He said, you come at me with a sword and a spear, but I come at you in the name of the living God. He had a mood. Mood said, you, you, watch this. He says, the same God that delivered me out of the hand of the lion and the bear is the same God that's going to deliver this uncircumcised Philistine into my hands. Somebody put hashtag mood in the chat. Yeah. You need more than a method. You need a mood. So some of you not seeing magic because you ain't got the right mood. I'm not talking about arrogance. I'm talking about confidence. A confidence that's not rooted in your own ability, but a confidence that's secure. That, what, that in the fact that what he gave me is enough to do what he told me. But the mood is affecting the magic. Ever seen somebody sing? And you're like, they can really sing. But they mood got them stuck. They can really sing and they could really sing if they believed it. The devil can't take the mantle. Gifts and callings are without repentance, right? But he can mess up the mood. Tario, play. It's over. Let's go. 
movement. <laughs> it affects your magic. I'm done. It affects your ministry. <laughs> it affects your ministry. Now, when I say ministry, I don't want you to make assumptions about what I mean. The word ministry at its core means service. It is your contribution that you make in carrying out your calling. Everyone has a ministry. But your mood affects it. And I want to give you something that God showed me. Are y'all ready for this? God showed me this. See, Darius? Y'all follow me? Judas? is a ministry assassin. Woo! Judas ain't about Judas. Judas is about who come after Judas and whether or not that pain is going to affect your mood that you won't deposit to people in the future because of the pain Judas gave you in the past. I, I talked to my pastor one time. He said, your job is to bleed. You can't be a shepherd without getting bit. Don't bleed on them. He said, bleed to me. But you can't do this job without bleeding. But bleed right. Let the good shepherd anoint you with oil to accelerate the healing so that you don't allow the pain of the past to cause you to shortchange your contribution to people in the future. Now, are you not carrying out a purpose that God gave you because of pain people cause you? This is the Holy Spirit right here. Listen to me. When you quit whatever you quit, did the God who told you to start tell you to stop? Because it should work both ways. If he told you to start, you should start, but you shouldn't stop until he tells you to stop. The pain was about your purpose. He wants that mood to affect your ministry. He wants you to make vows in the middle of pain. I will never trust again. I will never put my heart into it again. And the enemy likes to reinforce that reality by causing you to experience pain perpetually. So it'll cause you to question, is there any place or anybody that's safe? And then when God finally brings you the one person or the one space that actually is, your heart has been so hurt that you can't open it up in a place and with a person or people that actually can be trusted with it. Look at me. If you're asking God to trust you with promotion, you're asking him to trust you with pain. He's not just looking to see, can you handle people properly? Can you handle possessions properly? He's also looking to see, can you handle pain properly? Can you be jolted and not become jaded? Feel the Holy Spirit ministering to somebody. Get wiser, but don't get harder. Don't get harder. He says, because what I want to do in your life, I need more than your gifts. I need your heart. I need you to bring your heart to this. The cross is purposeful, but, but the cross also makes you vulnerable. And I know it's risky. But I want you to bring your heart to this.
And so whenever I step on the stage, I don't just bring my gifts. I bring my heart. And God wants you to go back and get your heart. He said, I want you to go back and get it. Because you're going to need it where I'm taking you. The people that I've called you to help and heal are going to need to feel your heart. I hear the Holy Spirit. He said, I'm not even telling you to trust them. I'm telling you to trust me. Trust me. Trust me. Trust me. Would you go back and get your heart? I know it hurt, but if you leave your heart there, he wins. So, Father, right now, in the name of Jesus, the one who heals the brokenhearted, the one who binds our wounds, the one who gives us beauty for ashes, the one who turns our mourning into dancing, the one who gives us the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. God, I pray that that Jesus, in the presence and person of the Holy Spirit, would right now engage in heart retrieval. Right now, right now, Jesus. Heart retrieval. Father, that you would retrieve the pieces of our heart that we left in places of pain. Father, we, we, we pray right now that your Holy Spirit would be a collector of all of those broken pieces and that your Holy Spirit would begin to mend and put the pieces of our heart back together again. We say, Father, we bring more than our gifts to our service with you. We bring our hearts in the name of Jesus. I pray for an accelerated healing. I pray that your Holy Spirit would be an antibiotic to those emotions that have been infected by Judas experiences. I pray, God, that you'd get the infection out, that you'd get the bitterness out, that you'd get the angst out, that you'd get the fear out in the name of Jesus. And I pray that you do for your people what you did with the woman with the issue of blood. You did it straightway. You did it immediately. What she couldn't do in 12 years, you did in 12 seconds. You gave her a quantum leap, exponential growth. I pray right now for that over the lives of all who are receiving this prayer and we lift this and lift them up to you in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen.